Well, the question that I wanted to begin with this morning is this. How confident are you in the power of God? How confident are you in the power of God? The scriptures speak of the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Ephesians 1 verse 19, at the, towards the end of this great passage where Paul is speaking of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, he says, uh, he speaks of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you know him? The Lord Almighty. Are you confident in his power today? The great encouragement of Christ is that whoever has faith in God, whoever asks and believes, will receive. Turn with me to read Mark chapter 11. And we find ourselves this morning in verses 20 through 25. I'm going to read that now. Mark 11, beginning of verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who also is in heaven will forgive you your sins. We have here the disciples passing by, headed to Jerusalem in the morning. And the fig tree that featured so prominently in Mark chapter 11 earlier on in verses 12 through 14 makes an encore appearance that that next morning. The disciples see the tree and they notice that The once vibrant green leaves that covered up the fruitless branches are now gone. The whole tree, roots and branches, is withered and dead. The tree that professed much produced little, and its end was destruction. Now remember, the fig tree is symbolic. It's symbolic of the house of Israel. This is the prophetic language that is used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. The house of figs. The Lord comes to his people as judge expecting to find fruit that is in keeping with faith. But what does Jesus find when he went to his house? He found No fruit. 
And so Jesus gave his judgment upon Israel. He gave it when he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Matthew's gospel tells us that immediately it withered up. In Mark, we find that it's the next day that the disciples realize what happened. The judgment of God is revealed upon the fig tree. And it is there in the where they the disciples come to see so vividly the power of God in judgment. That the power of true faith in God is revealed to the disciples. When the disciples saw the power of Christ revealed in judgment, the Lord spoke of the power of God unto those who believe. He said to them when Peter pointed it out and said, look at the tree, uh, master, teacher. Jesus said in verse 23, have faith to, sorry, 22, have faith in God. Christ directed the disciples to God. For it is in his nature. And it is in his power that we must put all our confidence. Anything other than faith in God as he reveals himself to us. Is not the faith about which Jesus speaks. Anything else is not the faith that saves Elsewhere in the scriptures, there's a there's a vivid imagery of of those that trust in horses and those that trust in men who will fail. The one who trusts in the Lord. Will stand. Think of where the psalmist turned in their troubles. Where did they look for help? Where did. The, the writers of the songs of the people of God point the people of God. Asaph, one of the chief songwriters, wrote in the midst of his doubts, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 77. Verses 11 and 12. This is our God. A God of mighty works. And power. Now Asaph had troubles. He had doubts. Just read the first nine verses of Psalm 77. And you will read his many questions that he had. But his faith was God directed. So it was God sustained. His hope was in the living and true God revealed in the scriptures. And so it is there that he turned in his trouble. He turned to remember the Lord. To remember what his God had done. Where is it that you turn in your troubles? Where is it that you seek refuge? Is it in God? That's what Jesus is urging his disciples to do. 
to see that they must have faith in God. Now, of this God-directed faith, of this faith that finds its object and its confidence in God, Jesus goes on to speak about this faith. And He says, verse 23, I tell you the truth, whoever... That is, anyone or the one who says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. The great principle that Jesus lays out for his disciples is that God, can do anything through anyone who has faith in Him. The impossible is possible with God. He is omnipotent. That is, He is all-powerful. He is unlimited in His strength and His ability to work all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that purpose is to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8. Whoever believes in the Lord Almighty is able to see the impossible happen. Does that amaze you? Does that encourage you? This is amazing. It truly is. I do think it is important, however, that we recognize something of the context to which Jesus is, is speaking here when He says, this mountain. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he was has already pronounced judgment on a particular mountain, the Temple Mount, Mount Zion. And so he is not speaking arbitrarily when he speaks of telling this mountain to be thrown down into the sea. He gave a word specific to their situation. You might have heard this mountain described as all the problems that you want fixed in your life. This mountain is first a prophetic reference to the city of Jerusalem and to the temple that would be judged by the power of God and it would be done. I'm not saying that this scripture does not apply to your situation. But I want you to consider that as we study the Word of God, we, we naturally want to 
understand how the scripture relates to our lives and we need to get there. If all we have is theoretical knowledge of this or that in the past or in, in the time of the New Testament, it is meaningless to us. But as we study the Word of God, our goal is always to let the Scriptures interpret the Scripture. The question isn't first, what does a mountain mean to me? But how does the Word of God use the imagery of mountains in this given context? How would the original audience, the disciples, have understood Jesus' words? We must always be committed to exegesis. You heard that word before? Exegesis is to draw out what the text says. It's to hear what God said. To hear it as He said it to the people that He spoke it to. Eisegesis, on the other hand, is to put into the text our own ideas. We think, I think maybe this, or I think maybe that. We need to hear what God says in order to rightly apply the Scriptures to our situations. And when we do that, we see in this, this uh, surety of judgment upon the house of Israel, how sure then can we be of the grace of God towards those who believe? that God will indeed provide, that He has, as the Apostle Peter said, given us all that we need according to His divine power for life and godliness so that we might live with Him in eternity and we might live today in the way in which God has called us to walk in holiness and in love and with joy, all of this is indeed possible. There is a principle here that applies to us, and that is that this was something that God wanted his people to say at that time. Elsewhere, Jesus said, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. John 12, 49. Jesus tells us plainly that he only spoke what the Father wanted him to speak. And there are many of us who, so much as we wish that we, we were, it was so, we speak often the things that we we think. But so it is to be with Jesus' disciples that we are to speak and to pray and to live according to the will of God, according to the way in which He has shown us. So the Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. Hear that. 
You can have confidence. That if we ask anything. According to his will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions. We have asked of him. Brothers and sisters. Do you know that God hears your prayers and that he has given you what you need. It is that we are to ask according to his will. That means that we need to to know what he has said. This is why we, we stand on the promises of God and not on our wishful thinking. The plain teaching of the scripture is that we must be asking for what is in line with the will of God. And the apostle James also writes, speaking of asking in prayer, and he writes in James chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James says the reason often why we don't receive what we ask is because we're asking wrongly. We ask to fulfill our desires and not God's. So we would do well to remember that our speaking and our praying in faith is not as though it is independent of God. True faith is in God. And true faith in God is not arbitrary. It's not whichever way I would like it to be. But it is faith in what he has revealed in his word about himself, about what he has done, and about what he will do. But as we acknowledge that, as we acknowledge that our faith must be in God and in His will, we also need to remember the broader point here that Jesus is bringing up. That the problem isn't that God is not strong enough. We need to recognize there is no limit to what God can do and to what God can do through whoever is willing to trust Him. As believers, we can echo the simple truth of the Sunday school song, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there is nothing my God cannot do. That's not for little children. That's for all people all of the people of God who trust in him we can say this and you can pray for the impossible for what you could not do or we as a group could not do because God can do it we who believe in God 
can pray to God, trusting that He will do as He promised. Remember that. Be encouraged by that. Now Jesus continues and He says, uh, verse uh, 23, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea, but He, he ex- uh, explains the attitude of our heart in this act, that it is not merely the words that we say, but it is our heart that matters. This is why in the temple they could pray all the right prayers and they could sing all of the psalms. But in their hearts, they did not honor the Lord. They did not believe his word. And so Jesus says, whoever says and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Jesus addresses doubt. Doubt is something we all know to one degree or another. Doubt is that uncertainty that you feel when you think one moment it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And the next, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. It's not going to happen. It's that wavering back and forth without certainty. Like the waves. Back and forth and back and forth. Jesus emphasizes the importance of not wavering back and forth in our hearts and in our resolve Because doubt, the great enemy of prayer, keeps many a person from coming to God or coming to Him, but you're only halfway there. This is what James describes as the double-minded person. Don't know what we want. Don't know what we believe. Jesus brings this up because we so often doubt. He is aware of our tendency to doubt. And so he gives us this word that we might be reminded if we would be willing to trust him, he will come through. He will do what he says. The great answer To doubt is to know God. Because the truth about God, given in His Word, destroys doubt. It tells us that God is faithful. It tells us that He is a God who cares for you. That He is a God who will walk through fires with you and floods with you. That He is the the God who, as the Apostle John put it in John chapter 13, it says that Jesus loved His disciples to the very end. To what end? To His death. And He's alive again. His, His love is not thwarted. When we know God 
and we are reminded again of His good character and His strength in our weakness. Our faith and our confidence in God is renewed. Now verses 24 and 25 sum up Jesus' teaching here. Verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, this was a common Jewish practice, very common for them to stand while praying. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven will forgive you your trespasses or your sins. Now, <clears throat> I felt that I should just quickly note here um, that a number of significant early Greek manuscripts do not include verse uh, 26. Um, verse 26 is found in the King James uh, tradition of manuscripts. And so the King James, the New King James, and some other older translations have that verse which says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. The verse is found in uh, later manuscripts, particularly the ones that they had at that time in England and Europe uh, there in Western Europe. But most people who study these things and have uh, reviewed and looked at the original manuscripts don't believe today that it was original to Mark's gospel because of how many uh, early manuscripts do not have it. And also because the phrase does appear elsewhere in the New Testament in Matthew 6, verse 15. And so it's not as though the phrase is alien to uh, Christian tradition or theology, but many believe that it, it doesn't really have its original place in that text. And a lot of Bibles will have a little note about that because they skip from verse 25 to 27. So I promise you, I, I am not intending to skip a verse in the Bible, okay? But we'll, we will be concentrating on verses 24 and 25 here that I just read. Ask, Jesus says, in verse 24, and believe that you've received it and you will receive. In his kindness, Christ gives us his assurance that there is an abundance of provision for your every need. If you believe Jesus, trust this word of his, my friends. Ask him for what you need. He says that he will take care of you. If you're not willing to ask, for your needs, to trust Him in that. 
You're not going to receive all of the blessings of his provision. Jesus calls us to trust him enough to act and to know that he will give to us the things that we need. Do you believe that? That he will take care of you. That he wants you to ask him so that he can provide. That's verse 24. But in verse 25, Jesus turns to the twin of faith, that is forgiveness. And he says, in essence, that forgiving the wrongs of those who have sinned against us is not optional. You say, but he doesn't deserve it. And Christ says, neither did you. You say, but he hurt me so deeply. And Christ says, and you have hurt me. You say, but I gave him a second chance and he sinned again and a third and a fourth. And Christ says, and I have given you a hundred times that. You say, okay, Lord, but how often? And Christ says, every time you pray, forgive Whatever grievance you have, if you have a grievance with anyone, you should be willing to forgive. Forgiveness is not for sometimes. It's not for when I feel ready or when I feel I've exacted enough revenge. But whenever we pray, our God wants us to come to him as a people who forgive. There's a very serious reason for this. Jesus explains the reason. Again, we're in verse 25. So that your Father, who also is in heaven, will forgive your sins. Jesus connects forgiveness to being forgiven. Not because forgiveness earns or forgiving earns forgiveness, but because a faith that is unwilling to forgive is not the effectual, genuine faith that God heeds. God's not going to listen to the kind of faith that says, I don't need to forgive anyone. The Geneva has a note here. The power of faith is exceedingly great. We've seen that in the preceding verses. And charity is always joined with it. The power of faith is exceedingly great. And charity is always joined with it. Charity being the older phrase for love. Love that is sacrificial. The translators who uh, who predated the King James, uh, by the way. Um, so this is from a long time ago that this note comes. They recognize that faith and love are always together. 
They recognize this because the flip side is true. Where forgiveness is lacking, faith in God will also be lacking. And where the root of bitterness grows, the fruitful tree will soon wither. But where forgiveness and faith in God are found, the impossible can happen. The one who is willing to forgive is willing to be like their Lord. Seize God for how compassionate and how merciful he is. And how can you not, if you know the compassion of Christ, not extend that and not believe that he will care for you? Do you see how knowing the mercy of God is what brings us to faith in him? There's no faith in God if we don't understand his forgiveness. And there's no true understanding and accepting of the love of God if we aren't willing to extend that grace to other people. But brothers and sisters, we have the encouragement of Christ that God can do anything he wants through us, his people and our prayers when we are willing to trust in him, to be confident in him, in his power, in his promises and his mercy. So when you find yourself thinking what if again? What about this? Or, or you begin to doubt. Stop for a moment and remember the Lord. Remember his power, his kindness, how he has provided in the past, and even in the bad situation that you might be in. And as you do that, bring your request to God. That is what he calls us to do, to trust him enough to ask. Now, maybe you find yourself wondering what to pray. What do I pray for the believers in, in Burma? What do I pray regarding my family situation right now? Do I pray about the, the, these things that I'm struggling with in my heart? I would encourage you to pray as the Lord taught his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's, it's really the prayer that Jesus gave our Lord gave for his disciples to pray, for us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In these words, Jesus gave a template. He gave us a pattern to follow. So that all of his disciples, so that you and I can pray specifically according to our need. So that you personally can remember the holiness of God, his perfect character, 
so that you can pray for your daily bread, your daily needs. And ask that God would keep you from a specific temptation. And to forgive you for the sin that you yourself have committed. And as you pray, you can remember that Jesus did more than leave us with a prayer to pray. He gave us his word that those who ask with faith in God will receive what they ask. Our God makes no idle promises when he says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And he's telling the truth when he says those things. When you believe in God, you can ask with the confidence that you will receive because he is able.